You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. It just continues. My, oh, my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Superb's building. You bet. She is unconscious right now. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Of course, as always, I'm your host, Charles Hammerker, here with you. Uh, as we're in the month of July, we are officially in the month of July. Summer has already uh, officially gone underway. Uh, and with that, you know, coming into effect, you know, we've had some consistent weather. So I'll be I'll be quieter about that, I promise. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I'll be quieter about that. We've got more consistent weather. Uh, we use the word consistently a lot here, uh, at least when it comes to the team that's up first. But no, I mean, the, the Mariners are underway. The Storm are underway. The Sounders continue their season. Um, the Rain are continuing their season. The Kraken are in their offseason, but are, are in some uh, capacity back in a way. Um, the Seawolves have sadly ended their season. Uh, so we'll get into all of that, of course. But we begin with our Seattle Mariners who are continuing. Uh, They just wrapped up their last homestand of the season before the all-star break that they're going to be hosting. So we'll get into that here, beginning with a three game set against the Washington nationals. Now the nationals are in the basement of the NL East. Uh, They're just kind of a struggle right now. Uh, The Mariners are able to take care of business in game one, an eight to four win. Our player of the game, shortstop J.P. Crawford, two hits, two runs, one RBI, and two walks on the day. Our photo of the game here by Brian Saldana, catchers Jared Kalnick at second base. Uh, After stealing second, being called out upon uh, the immediate call um, before Scott Service and the Mariners challenging that uh, and having it overturned. And Country Rose is playing all night long because that is now Jared Kelnick's walk-up song. And the in-stadium uh, sound people uh, basically play that song anytime that Jared Kelnick does something good. <laughs> um, we go to game two of this series as the Mariners try to take the take the series win, are able to do so, uh, losing 4-7 to seven in 11 innings. This one, just, just frustrating as a whole uh, that the Mariners even had to go to 11 innings here. Um and then failing to really answer in the 10th or the 9th, and then being able to, as continuing that, not being able to do anything um, in the 11th inning. Uh, our player of the game, right fielder, Teoscar Hernandez. Teo, one hit, one run, two RBIs, and one walk to get a two-run homer in the bottom of the first to get things going. You know, after the 8-4 to four win the night before, it was like, okay, maybe we can get some get some momentum generated here uh, and and move that into a serious win. That wouldn't be the case. Um, and so that would set up the rubber match on Wednesday, looking to salvage that uh, and win the series. Uh, the Mariners would be able to do, unable to do so with a horrible, horrible offensive showing only one run uh, with that coming late, um, a, a one to four loss against the Nationals to lose that series. Our player of the game, second baseman, Jose Caballero, Cavi, two hits, <laughs> Ooh, one run. With summer being around, the bugs are around too. Goodness, uh, two hits, one run, and one RBI. Um, <clears throat> while it was frustrating for the Mariners, um, Nationals catcher Kiebert Ruiz was thrown out at home, and you can see here 
um, some arguments at home plate because of him being thrown out at home. Uh, it was ruled that Ruiz had stepped out of the base path and there was this out, which makes a ton of sense. Um, and so the Nationals manager would get thrown out, but it wouldn't really end up mattering as captured here by Brian Saldana. So the Mariners get a day off <clears throat> in between those games, and you're hoping, okay, hey, uh, you lost the series to the Nationals, which is really not great um, in any means necessary. But, you know, you've really got to be able to pick things up and turn things around before the Rays series. Um, and very interestingly enough, the day of the series opener, which you can see the score for May 30th there on your screen, um, prior to the game, there were no players visible whatsoever in the clubhouse. Uh, it was a ghost town. It was all the coaching staff uh, were all there and around. Uh, the Mariners were having a players-only meeting. Now, uh, it didn't really turn out too well, at least in the immediate form, as the Mariners would lose that game 4-15. to That was just such a frustrating loss. We're not going to get into a player of the game for that. We'll instead put up this photo of the game captured by Brian Saldana. Uh, this was a game, I mean, this was a close game going into the eighth inning. Uh, it was a 4-4 to game. Uh, the Mariners had actually gotten out and gotten ahead of the Rays um, before the Rays started to chip away over the course of the game. And then an eight-run eighth inning for Tampa Bay really blew the roof off of things and was really, really frustrating to see uh, in so many different iterations. Um, and surely angled, angered a bunch of people. I mean, at least it was very frustrating in the meantime, um, especially you know knowing that that players-only meeting had taken place um, just hours before it. And then just to have that horrible effort, you know, get blown up. It was really horrible. It was, it was bad. It was bad. The vibes were not good. Um, but then we get to game two of the series and you're wondering how the Mariners were going to be able to respond. And they win that game in game two, eight to three, a nice and strong performance. Uh, didn't really start out too hot offensively. We're able to get going uh, before a late surge helped them push away. By, and an ex, excellent game from George Kirby. Our photo of the game, though, is our player of the game number one. Uh, this photo here by Matthew Bermudez. <clears throat> Excuse me. All this talking to make my throat sore. Um, first player of the game, shortstop J.P. Crawford. J.P., three hits, two runs, two RBIs, and a walk. Our second player of the game, starting pitcher George Kirby. Kirby, seven innings, which is excellent length for a starter. Two hits allowed, two runs against, both of them being earned. Two walks and seven strikeouts on the day. Um, to set up the rubber match in game three. So we get to that one. And this game was another one out. Uh, well, this one was different than those first two games where the team would, you know, they both start slow and then they kind of hang out around with each other before one of the other teams um, really is able to pull away. July 2nd in the rubber match versus the race to close out that homestand was a 7-6 to win. Our player of the game, catcher Tom Murphy, two hits, one run, one RBI, and one walk, uh, including a solo homer. Uh, he reached base all three of the times that he stepped up to the plate. This was a game where the Rays actually got on the board first. They had solo homers in the first and second off of Luis Castillo before a four-run fourth inning put them ahead 5-1, to one, um, going into the bottom of the third, uh, that one being a Eugenio Suarez solo homer. The Mariners were able to score four runs of their own in the bottom of the third, uh, and the Mariners' bullpen shut down the Rays after Castillo kind of locked in. And the Mariners were able to play patient, play smart, 
gets good at bats, not swing at horrible pitches, uh, resulting in a bases loaded situation in the seventh where Jose Caballero was hit by the first pitch that he saw, as you can see here in this photo, um, as he's putting his gear down. And the Mariners would be able to win that game by a run to take the series against now the second best team in baseball. Before the Braves won that day, uh, the Rays had the most wins. It would shortly become the Braves uh, during this game, actually. So our player of the week um, in this photo here by Lay of Lions is uh, JP. Uh, seven games, last seven games, a 280 batting average, 455 on base percentage, 600 slugging, seven hits, four runs, two homers. Uh, over the course of those seven games, five ribbies and eight walks on the day. I did find it a little funny that my player of the week was somebody that I had previously called out last week, uh, trying to hope to see more from some of those players. So um, this this homestand is very, very bizarre to kind of look at and to quantify, right? Because you lose a series against the Nationals, who are one of the worst teams, uh, at least wins-wise, in baseball. And so to lose that series against them at home in the, the fashion that you did, having, um, having that, uh, having the poor hitting performances continue where you just don't look competitive at the plate, especially in that series finale, in that rubber match, you did not look competitive at the plate whatsoever against the Nationals. Um, and then you're like, okay, here come the Rays into town, the most complete team in baseball, arguably. Um, you could argue with the Braves, yeah. Um, at the time, the most wins in all of MLB. It's it's, it's worrisome. It's troublesome, right? Because you're like, well, how is this going to go? What am I going to do? Oh, no. Um, and then they're able to have that. They're able to overcome that terrible, terrible series opener um, and get a series win against the Rays, which in those last two games, you showed some good, solid offense, uh, some patient plate appearances. The bullpen looks good again. That was just bizarre. It's it's bizarre. I don't know how to quantify it. I can't honestly tell you if it means that they're going to turn things around, but it's a very, very good start to to have those, you know, patient patient plate appearances to take what's given to you by the opposing pitcher, to really put the pressure on the pitcher and not to have it so much on yourself. Um, I know that's something that Scott Service and the team has talked about over the course of this homestand. So it, it was just very interesting to see the way that this homestand played out. Um, and I, you know, it's hard to quantify it. It's, it's going to be critical here over the course of these next, this next road trip to see where this team is at, to see what they're going to do at the trade deadline. If they can do anything at the trade deadline, if they are going to be um, a team that is going to reasonably be able to look at the playoffs and ex expect to try and fight for that over the course of the next few months. So That'll be interesting. Uh, I don't know if this new trade acquisition will help with that, as today, early this morning, the Mariners acquired left-handed pitcher Zach uh, Muckenhern uh, from the Mets. Muckenhern was DFA'd by the Mets last night. Uh, he's 28. He'll report to AAA Tacoma. He was DFA'd by the Mets last night, as I mentioned. He's a lefty. He's made three appearances with the Mets, uh, has not recorded a win or loss, the six ERA, four earned runs over the course of six innings pitched, two walks and three strikeouts. He made his MLB debut on May 3rd of this year, throwing uh, an inning and two-thirds scoreless against the Tigers. He's a Minnesota native, was selected by the Orioles in the 11th round of the 2016 MLB first-year player draft. 
He has appeared in parts of seven different minor league seasons, so he really hasn't been up here at the major league level. Um, going 22 and 22 with the 3.59 ERA, 162 earned runs over 405 innings pitched, 405 and two thirds innings pitched. I apologize. Um, so yeah, very. I, I don't really know what to make out of Muckenhern. Uh, I've seen some Twitter reactions, which you know you take that with a grain of salt. Um, I've seen some Twitter reactions where Mets fans thought he looked good. Uh, I don't know again what to take from that. Really, um, I'm trying to see what we can find out what his pitches are. But you look at the return there on your screen. Uh, Chris Flexen, who had been DFA'd over the course of this past homestand, was sent over in that trade. The Mets will pay half of his salary for the year. This is $4 million. Um, and, excuse me, 600000 of what Trevor got would have been paid. Um, Flexen, over the course of this uh, past year, 42 innings pitched, a 7.71 ERA, an 0-1-4 record, and 29 Ks on the year. Uh, Trevor got... Both of these guys righties from the Mariners, by the way. 29 innings pitched, a 4.03 ERA, an 0-3 record, and 32 strikeouts. He had actually just been recalled from the injured list uh, by the Mariners. I mean, hmm, trying to look here and see what he's got pitch type from Muck and Hearn. Have, oh, that's not going to help. Okay. Uh, you know, with what to make of this trade, I mean, God really had not been playing too well over the course. Um, I mean, his, his start to the season was great. His start of the season was great. Uh, a bunch of the newer guys from the bullpen looked really good. Him and Gabe Spire. I'm not saying that Spire doesn't look good necessarily recently, but I'm prefacing it, right? Um, we look here to <sighs> Trevor Gott. You know, from the 31st of March to the 30th of April, he had 14 innings pitched, a 2.57 ERA, a 2.43 FIP, a 2.71 opposing batting average, four earned runs against, 16 hits, two walks, 12 Ks. Pretty good numbers. Pretty good numbers from a guy that you essentially took a flyer on, right? And then got from May 2nd uh, until June 30th, 15 innings pitched, so one more inning, a 5.4 ERA, a 3.55 FIP, a 283 opposing batting average, nine earned runs against, which doubles his last um, from that earlier split, 17 hits against, six walks, and 20 strikeouts. So uh, didn't necessarily get better. Um, it'll be interesting, though, yeah, to see if, if he's sort of, I don't know. I, it doesn't. He wasn't exactly great um, over that course of the stretch. There, still trying to find Muck and Hearn information. I apologize. Um, let's see. Oh my God. Well, it's very interesting when he's not on. Oh, oops, I spelled it wrong. There we go. Okay, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see the Mariners add a third lefty to the bullpen as well. Um, to get that in there let's see if we can get anything on you fastball change up slider okay pretty typical throws that fastball 65 percent of the time uh and then mainly change up with 24 percent of the time uh, that slider comes out only 10 percent of the time there um hmm not bad i mean i don't know i not too much to say on Muck and Hearn. I apologize. Kind of dragging that out. But yeah, this was, it was probably, you, you get Flexen here who was already DFA'd. Uh, they're able to send him back to the Mets who had been in his career previously. Um, and his sort of 
a decent contract and then you throw in God here who I don't imagine the Mariners were too, you know, dying to hold on to, uh, to get a guy that obviously someone in that front office saw a something, they saw something that they liked. So I'm very intrigued to see what it is that they like about Muck and Hearn. Uh, and if he's able to show enough in AAA Tacoma to really um, show a bunch and get called up with a big league crew. So we'll see about that. We'll see what um, if there's any fallout from that, what the dominoes might be in place here from Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander. But that trade was made this morning as the Mariners are headed out on their road trip. So speaking of that road trip, uh, the Mariners are at a 40 win, 42 loss record at the current moment. Uh, looking ahead, they have a three-game set down by the Bay, three games against the Giants. July 3rd at the Giants tonight is a 6.45 p.m. start. July 4th at the Giants is a 1.35 p.m. start. And then July 5th at the Giants is a 6.05 p.m. start uh, to round out that series uh, and finish out against a Giants team that is looking pretty solid. Uh, they're playing former Mariner Mitch Hanniger down there, so uh, we'll be very interested to see how that series against the Giants goes. And, you know, if that series against the race was any indicator of what's going to go on uh, over the course of the rest of the season for the Mariners, they're going to face a t- tough test, another tough test uh, to continue this road trip and to close out the the regular season before the All-Star break when they head to Houston for a four-game set. Yes, four-game set against the Houston Astros, July 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th against Houston, uh, the 6th and 7th are both um, five ten starts, uh, and then July eighth is a four fifteen start, and then July 9th, to close that out on Sunday is an eleven ten a.m. start. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It's going to be a big weekend. It's going to be a very big weekend um, to see all that take place. No, yeah, that's right. Okay. Anyway, anyway. Um, we wrap up the Mariners segment of the show and we will head over to the storm who <sighs> I know last week, the, my talk of it was the growing pains for the storm and trying to deal with the ups and downs because there were ups and downs. Um, you could argue that there were ups in this one. Yes. Over this course of this past week, but the way that the they're losing these games, I'm sure, is more frustrating than anything else for the Storm right now. So we look at the course of the past week. June 27th at the Minnesota Lynx was a 93-104 to loss. Our play of the game guard, Jewel Lloyd, 20 points, 6 rebounds, 1 assist, 1 steal, and 2 blocks. Uh, tough one there. I mean, the Lynx at, haven't actually haven't necessarily been a great team in the WNBA this year, but Nafisha Collier has been playing out of her mind. Um, and the Storm have been failing to find consistency uh, scoring the basketball in general over the course of this year, um, whether that be the few players that have looked consistent not always being that or just not getting enough from their bench and so-and-so. Uh, so they go into Minnesota and lose that one. Then both teams come back to Seattle to play a second game, uh, and the Storm lose that one in overtime, 97-99, to despite our player of the game, Jewel Lloyd, um, in this photo by Sage Cipetto, um, with a 41 point game, nine rebounds, two assists, and one steal. It's a career high in points for Lloyd, uh, one point away from that double double there. Really tough. Jewel had a great overtime and a great fourth quarter. Uh, just you know, down the up and down the board, really just not enough from the rest of the Seattle attack. Um, and they lose that one to Minnesota. 
And, you know, you don't want to see mistakes compound, but they start to compound, uh, especially in this loss to the Liberty here, a 66 to 81 loss. The storms start out poorly. Uh, the deficit goes as high as 22. The storm make a little bit of a push in the third and fourth quarter, but it's ultimately not enough to get them within striking distance. They never get into single digits uh, in that second half. Uh, our play of the game guard Jewel Lloyd, 27 points, four rebounds, three assists, one steal, and one block. Uh, we get to our photo of the game here by Matthew Bermudez. Um, Another one, another one. I, I mentioned at the head of it when I talked about this Liberty game, the mistakes compounding, and they just really, they really did. Uh, a lot of the same issues that Seattle been dealing with: points on the paint, uh, rebounding. Um, I think they actually won one of those, one of those two or second chance points. And I was kind of surprised to see that, but they turned the ball over a ton, which is something that they were doing better upon in the last week. Um, Seattle has been one of the top three, I'd argue mainly more top two teams in all of the WNBA uh, when it comes to fast break points and the Liberty beat them to that. So it was not only the mistakes that the Storm had already been making, but they made other ones that were uncharacteristic of this team so far this year as well. So that was just overall a really tough loss to see that sort of, um, you could argue, regression. Um from the storm team. So we look at our player of the week. I mean, it's kind of obvious uh, not to say that other players didn't have solid weeks as he Magmagor has been playing excellent all year uh, and had a double double. I believe it was in that overtime loss um, to the links. And, but I mean, it's just Jewel Lloyd is Jewel Lloyd and we all have to recognize the sort of uh, incredible play that she's got 20 uh, over the past three games. She's averaging 29.3 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game, two assists per game, one steal per game and one block per game um, over those games against both Minnesota games and then against the Liberty. So, yeah, I mean, kind of speaks for itself, kind of talks, you know, I talked about the compounding of the mistakes. Um it's it's some things aren't being fixed when you know we've got the failure of the issues on the boards uh the turnovers had been good and are now not doing so good um you know you're still looking for consistency scoring the basketball uh, you could argue in that game against the Liberty that they weren't distributing the basketball well enough. Even in those games, uh, and I believe it was the game in the overtime against Minnesota, they weren't distributing the ball enough. Um, the ball movement wasn't good enough. So it, it's those are now leaking into, hey, we're trying to fix these things. And then you look and there's another hole like just out of reach and you can't plug it. Um, so it's just becoming too much to handle at this point. And I'm intrigued to see you know, I, 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 was, I was listening into the press conference uh, against the Liberty there, and this, uh, they talked about kind of, I guess the players talked about accountability within each other. So, um, you know, with the Mariners segment, they talked about a players only meeting. You wonder, you know, the coaches can only do so much. If, if a lesson isn't being digested and then put into action by a player, it doesn't really matter. Right. So, um, it'll be very interesting to see the the after a loss like this liberty game after a stretch like this and with some of the news that's got coming up here um what sort of change we'll see from the storm um 
and how immediate that might be put into action or maybe maybe it just isn't um hmm maybe it isn't something that makes an effect maybe they're stuck in a loop here so it'll be it'll be very intriguing to me i'm sorry i don't want to get that all wanted to make sure that came across correct. So we move over here to some news. Um, Center Ezzy Magbagor was named as an all-star reserve uh, for this year's all-star roster. She'll join Jewel Lloyd um, in heading to that, excuse me, in Las Vegas here from July 14th through 15th. It's um, her first all-star appearance. She's one of 12 reserves for the WNBA all-star game in Las Vegas as voted by league coaches and announced on by the league. Um, she's having a career year, which is great to see after the sort of improvement and progress that we saw from Ezzy last year, uh, 15.1 points per game, 8.6 rebounds per game, two blocks, 1.9 assists and 1.4 steals per game while shooting 50.9% from the field. She's, um, oops. She scored in double figures in 13 of 15 games this season. Wow, including, yeah, and we've talked about Ezio over the course of the year. She's easily been Seattle's second scoring option. Um, where did I lose it? Okay. Uh, including each of the last seven, uh, recording six double-doubles and shooting 50% or better from the field in 10 games. Magbagor had 16 points and 16 rebounds in her last outing, a career high in rebounds and becoming just the fourth Storm player I believe this was, uh, yeah, this was after the um, uh, overtime loss to the uh, Lynx, I believe. To post those numbers are better in a double-double. She scored 20 points on a Tuesday in Minnesota, her third game with 20-plus points already this season after collecting four total over the last three seasons combined. So, Ezzy more than deserved for that all-star nod. And then this big one that had been speculated, but not officially confirmed, uh, the Storm have brought back forward gabby williams williams is back after all that stuff in the beginning of the year where it's like will she won't she uh why do we care you know um so that was announced officially this morning actually the storm announced uh that 2022 wba all defensive second team pick gabby williams has re-signed with the team on a rest of the season contract uh per team policy terms of the deal were not discussed she will join the team on the upcoming East Coast road trip and wear her number five, as you can see in the photo. Uh, she made a big splash in 2022, flashing a lot of potential, a lot of athletic potential. Um, tried to gain footing on her offensive potential to something that was growing with her over the course of the year. Um, and we already knew about the defense, but it was the offensive potential that we wanted to see. She started all 36 games for the Storm in 2022, averaging 7.5 points, 5 rebounds, 3.1 assists, and 1.5 steal per game uh, while connecting on a career-best 44% from the field. So you can kind of get a bit of it there for Gabby. Um, Those 7.5 points isn't the biggest, but the rebounds as well is a big thing. Uh, she, she finishes one of the best lockdown defenders in the league uh, ranked eighth in steals 11th in defensive win shares and 13th in defensive rating she also finished fifth among qualifiers and steal percentage at 2.6 percent uh, with the team's defensive rating dropping nearly two points per 100 possessions when not on the court the second largest change on the storm um <laughs> see what else we got here okay yeah that's that's mainly on gabby but no i mean I talk about it with the offensive potential 
last year with the storm they did need that you know they needed a third score there was stewie there was jewel and it's like okay who's the third player gonna be at times it was tina charles uh you know at times ezzy magbagor was able to help out with that but Gabby really showed some great potential here and there um, in doing so and in, in being able to uh, be that player who did that for Seattle. So it was very intriguing um, to wonder if this was going to become reality at some point this season or maybe next season uh, to see this now is kind of interesting to me. Um, but the, the rebounds and the defensive effort are going to be big things that Williams will be able to help the storm out with in the immediate time i don't think obviously you are looking for that uh you are looking for um more scoring and more consistent scoring i'm not saying that gabby just being on the team will automatically help that it probably should but um seeing her develop that will be big but in the immediate like in the in in the now is how i want to put it um williams will be able to help defensively and on the boards in a big big way so that's fun and it's great to have gabby back so um the storm sit at a 4 and 12 record on the season they are 11th in the league uh 5th in the western conference looking ahead uh their next game is on july 6th at the connecticut sun at 4 o'clock pacific time uh that will be broadcast on amazon prime video and fox 13 and then a rematch with the New York Liberty, this time in New York for the first time, uh, with an 11 o'clock start on July 8th. That game will be on uh, ESPN. So big national TV broadcast uh, as Gabby Williams will be getting back into it there, playing against Connecticut and New York. Um, <laughs> it's safe to say that Gabby can really help out with that. I'm excited to see her. Uh, I, I, I'm interested to see if she's jumped immediately into the starting lineup. If uh, she starts out on the bench, uh, it's just great to have Gabby back. So we move over here. We go into our Sounders here. We have happy news. We have happy news with the Sounders here. Obviously, well, I'll talk about it, but we have happy news. We have happy news with the Sounders. Uh, in their past match, they hosted the Houston Dynamo, who I don't believe the Sounders have lost to at home ever. Knock on wood. Uh, in case I have to come back to this later on in the season uh, or, or, or some other time. Um, July 1st versus the Houston Dynamo and one to nothing win. Our player of the match midfielder, Albert Rusnak. Rusnak, an 8.0 match rating, one goal, three shots, a 95% passing percentage from the midfield uh, and one chance created. An excellent game by Albert. Um, I just wonder why people hate him so much. It's probably because he was such a highly touted free agent signing, but man, I, I really don't understand the hate for the guy. Um, and we'll go over to our photo of the match here by Liv Lyons. This was just a very interesting, um, <laughs> interesting match. I mean, it, the Sounders were barely the better attacking team after the halftime whistle had blown. Uh, they really hadn't generated much, but neither had Houston. And then, uh, and about the 50, uh, I believe it was the 54th minute, Cody Baker got a yellow card. Things started to get feisty. Um, they might have been fight a little bit feisty before that, but that's when we started to see the cards. And then in a span of a minute, arguably less than a minute, I think it was like 50 seconds. Um, you can see here, uh, Houston's Mikael, Michael, uh, was issued two quick yellows and sent off to put the Houston Dynamo with 10 men. 
And then just five minutes later, uh, some great combination play from Leo Chu to Nico Ladero back to Chu finds Rusnak in the middle of the box who slots at home and the sort of celebration and the relief and sort of the joy on the players' faces after that goal had been scored kind of tells you the way that they had been feeling about this scoring drought and their struggles as of late over the past few months. You know, when Rusnak scored that goal, the Sounders had a goal drought at home of 405 minutes, and they hadn't won a match since May 27th here uh, in Seattle against New York Red Bulls. So um, it has to feel great. It really does. It has to feel great. I know that head coach Brian Schmetzer said in the post game that uh, they need to be better, and you could you could argue that. I I don't disagree with that whatsoever, um, but happy with it. Happy with it, right? The, Sound- the Sounders record their eleventh clean sheet of the season, ninth at home um, through 20, 21 games on the season so far. So the defensive effort continues to remain. Uh, you just hope you can do more on the offensive end so that, you know, the pressure isn't on the the back line, Stefan Fry, um, to have to go out there and have to um, record a clean sheet every time. I mean, that would be really cool. I don't think it's realistic. It would be really cool. Um, I don't think it's realistic, again, but it would be really cool. Um, so, no, it's 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 very interesting to see. Like with the Mariners in that series against the Rays, is this going to be a sort of launch point for the Sounders going forward for them to be able to find more offense to get more going on? You know, I know that they're without Jordan Morris and Alex Roldan um, and Christian Roldan. Oopsie. Um, right now, did international duty with the Gold Cup taking place, but this Sounders lineup without those players is more than capable of winning games. I'm not saying that they're going to beat everybody in MLS, but they're more than capable of winning games. So it, it shouldn't be used as a crutch or an uh, an excuse uh, when those players are out. You know, when you get them, then that's a different story as to why they're not scoring goals, right? Um, but we saw that at the end, uh, right before those players got called into uh the national team christian rolled on had a goal and an assist uh in that game against charlotte you know the defensive play in that game wasn't great and then with that game becoming a draw but i don't know i i i think the, the tools are there and it's just about making sure that they're being used properly and after a match like this you hope that it's kind of like a blueprint it's like hey this is you know get back to what you were doing uh earlier in the season and Again, the talent level is there. That's never been an excuse here this year. So, anyway, uh, we move on here. The Sounders set a nine win, seven loss, five draw record. They have 32 points on the season, which is good for third in the Western Conference. They do sit at eighth still uh, in all of the league for Commissioner's Cup. I mean, Commissioner's Cup. Oopsie. Um, oh, gosh. I've already forgotten. Uh, oops. Oh. Did I already forget? Wow. I'm getting old, guys. Maybe I... Mm, oh, my. Supporter shield. Yikes. I apologize. Too many shields and cups and things. It's like a it's like a cabinet. <laughs> um, their next match, uh, the Sounders will look to win their first Cascadia match of the year after losing already to the Whitecaps and to the Portland Timbers. Uh, July 8th at the Whitecaps is a 7.30 p.m. start. That's on Saturday. Um, I mean, this is... You'd like, regardless of where, even even when I look at here, the uh, 
MLS standards and look at where Vancouver is, you'd like to get one, your first win uh, in Cascadia uh, this season because it's embarrassing that you don't have one already. Uh, and two, you know, you'd like to continue to establish, establish dominance over little brother. Uh, Vancouver is just barely over the playoff line at a 6-6-7 six, six, record. Um, so, yeah, you'd like to handle that. You'd like to handle that against Little Brother. I mean, if we look here at their past five matches and their form as of recently, I don't think it's been great. Eh, two wins over the course of the past. They've only lost once over the course of the past five matches, and that was uh, their last match, a 3-0 uh, shelling against Sporting KC. You know, yeah, they lost games to Montreal. They drew with Cincinnati. They beat LAFC. Wow. So maybe they, hmm. That's a very confusing past five matches. Uh, but regardless, we'll continue on. And we'll move over here to our Kraken, who went through its busy time in, in um, Kraken land. As we move over here, they had the NHL draft over the course of the past week, as well as free agency beginning. That's still underway. I don't believe that anything has happened over the time that we've been recording. We'll make sure just because you never know when we're recording. Things happen before Russell Wilson got traded while we were recording, so you always want to make sure. Um, nothing right now. Um, but So the draft was on June 28th and 29th. Uh, the Kraken selection in round one, they go to with Edward Shala. I know it looks like the word sale, like we're not having a sale at TJ Maxx or Kmart or Sears, uh, just to help with some of our older viewers there. Uh, Shala. Shala, Edward Shala, uh, 20th overall pick, a left winger, a much higher pick, well, a much lower pick than the last two selections that the Kraken have had in the first round, being two and four. Uh, Shala is a key part of Czech Republic's silver medal uh, finish at this past year's World Juniors. Um, round two, uh, the team with the 50th overall pick went with left winger Carson Rekhoff. Uh, the 29th ranked North American skating prospect in the draft. 52nd overall was centerman Oscar Fisker Mulgard, the 18th ranked European skater. 57th overall, excuse me, D man Lucas Dragasevich out of uh, the Tri City Americans in the WHL, the 18th ranked North American skating prospect. We go over here to round three. Uh, so they stay in the WHL in the 84th overall pick, defenseman Caden Price. Price played with the Kelowna Rockets of the WHL. Uh, we saw him here. Uh, when those teams played, uh, when the team played the Thunderbirds, our Thunderbirds, round four, 116th overall, Andre Loshko, a centerman. Uh, we keep a lot of centermen. Round five, um, we go with the, I believe it's the in the entry draft. I believe it's the first uh, silver tip or Thunderbird that the Kraken have selected. It's defenseman Caden Hamill, uh, who is, as I mentioned, a silver tip. We go over here to round six and seven. 168th overall, the only goalie that the Kraken selected, Visa Vedenpa, um, the only, as I mentioned, the only goalie selected by the Kraken in the draft. 180th overall, centerman Zeb Forsfall, Forsfjall. Uh, and then round seven, who you can see pictured on your screen, I believe it's the first African-American player that the Kraken have, well, not African, uh, the first uh, player of color that the Kraken have selected. Uh, the 220th overall pick, right winger Zachariah Wisdom, who is already a fan of favorite in multiple ways, uh, whether that be his fun name or the Kraken adding uh, a player of color uh, to their prospect pool as well. So uh, we will go over those picks more so in a CSS draft recap here 
in the next few days. Uh, we don't want to cram all of that into your screen right now. We'll continue on here um, and keep moving with NHL free agency. Uh, on the 30th, the team sort of kicked things off here, uh, signing to, uh, goaltender Joy Decord to a two-year, $1.2 million deal uh, to bring him back. I know there was some speculation of where Joey would go if he'd come back to Seattle um, or, you know, after playing the large majority of the season with the Coachella Valley Firebirds, if he'd look somewhere else around the NHL for a starting chance, he stays in Seattle. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what that means um, for the goalie, the backup goalie situation behind uh, Philip Grubauer, whether that's Chris Rieger or Joey Decord. Um, so we'll see about that. Um, on the 1st, there's a bunch of stuff going on on July 1st. This They kind of came rapid fire. The team signed uh, defenseman Jimmy Schultz to a one-year two-way deal at $775,000. Uh, he did spend the season with the Coachella Valley Firebirds. There was apparently interest around the NHL uh, for Schultz, but he stays with the Kraken organization. Um, continuing with it, the team signed Excuse me. Forward Marianne Studenek to a one-year two-way deal at $775,000. Studenek tallied a career-high 48 points with 21 goals and 27 assists uh, and 67 regular season games during this past year with the Texas Stars, which is the AHL affiliate of the Dallas Stars. Um, keeping with it and bringing back guys that Kraken are familiar with, familiar with, the team signed forward John Hayden to a one-year, two-way, $775,000 deal. He did have a time spent with the uh, a brief period of time spent with the Kraken up at the NHL level, but largely spent time with the Firebirds. And after an injury suffered with the Kraken, I believe it was in January or February, um, Hayden was able to return for the playoff run that the Firebirds had. Um, Keeping along here with the July 1st news on the to wrap it up, the team signed defenseman Brian Dumoulin uh, to a two year contract at 300, 3.15 million AAV. Dumoulin uh, 31, he tallied 25 points, one goal, and 24 assists through 82 regular season games for the Pittsburgh Penguins this past year, setting career highs in assists and points. He also did see it uh, set a career best with 23 even strength points, uh, which ranked second among Pittsburgh Blue Liners. So sort of a, a veteran presence there uh, for the Kraken defensively after Carson Soucy left. Um, just to go over the guys who left now that we mentioned Soucy. Uh, Daniel Sprong is in Detroit. Uh, Ryan Donato is in Chicago. Morgan Geeky is in Boston, which is an interesting move. Um which is good. I mean, it's good for those players. I know that a lot of people are upset, and I understand that, and I'm going to give them space to be upset about those players moving on, right? But, you know, with, with the years that they had and the season that this Kraken team had, it's very fair for those players to go and get more money. It's, it's totally fair for that to happen. So keeping July 2nd... The, uh, okay, so I looked like my internet was going going down there for a minute. Um, ooh, very nice. Um, the team signed forward Kyler Yamamoto to a one-year deal uh, at one point five million AAV. Yamamoto uh, was uh, who's now twenty-four years old, totaled twenty-five points, ten goals, and fifteen assists in fifty-eight regular season games with the Edmonton Oilers. His sixth season with Edmonton forwards. Uh, he is 
<coughs> excuse me, he played his junior hockey with the Spokane Chiefs, so he makes his return. I believe he now becomes the first Washington State-born player that the Kraken have signed. So that's very cool to see. Um, and then earlier this morning, July 3rd, the team signed defenseman Connor Carrick to a one-year two-way contract at 775000 AAV. We'll see if we can get you some more information on Carrick because I know this isn't exactly his first time with the organization. So uh, he is 29. He tallied one assist in one game for the Bruins this past year, uh, spending the remainder of their season with their AHL affiliate, the Providence Bruin. Providence Bruins, sorry. Um, <laughs> see if they mention, because I know he's been here before. Uh, hmm. That's very weird. I could have sworn that he was here before. Connor, Carrick. All right, I don't mean to just go and be like, uh Ah, yes. On August 24th, August 4th, 2021, uh, Carrick signs a free agent to a one-year two-way deal at 800000 with the expansion team. Uh, after attending training camp, he was reassigned to the Charlotte Checkers of the AHL. Ah, I see, I see. There we go. I was like, I know. Oh, I've seen his name before. So, anyway, free agency is continuing. Uh, development camp is continuing. That's underway right now. Our our new writer, Jason Fridge, actually has a recap of day one of development, development camp up. So, make sure to go to our website, which you can access in the bio, I mean, the description of this video, um, and go to our articles tab to see that. But uh, we'll be back on the 5th as the next few days of development camp are all closed door. Um, so we'll be back on the 5th for that when the team has a scrimmage uh, and a barbecue after a cracking community ice collection. So come on down uh, to KCI, whether that's down for you or up, um, and come and check that out because it's free. It's open to the public, and there's, they're grilling afterwards. I, uh, my friend Liv reminded me that barbecue isn't always necessarily what they're doing when someone says they're barbecuing. So um, we head over here to our old Rain, who I am checked out. Uh, well, I, I turn, but I don't know. If that has, you know, that'd be the most smart thing to do, because if we do that on camera, I don't know how much you can see it. Right. But we're wearing the Olivia Vanderyat jersey today um, <laughs> in, in the home studio here. Uh, the Rain played two matches over the course of the past week, and those are both without their international players. So the Rain are looking to sort of balance things without their internationals. Uh, one of these matches being a Challenge Cup match, the other one being a regular season match. June 28th at the Portland Thorns on a one to nothing win was a excuse me challenge cut match. Our player of the match forward, Elise Bennett, one goal. It was the game winner, and she previously in that match had a goal taken away uh, due to a foul. I believe it was a foul in the buildup or might have been an offside. So that was taken away, which is unfortunate, but Bennett still can sh uh, continue to show great effort uh, and great persistence and was able to score the game winner on a great ball uh, on the rain. Uh, on a rain set piece. So that was really nice. And it hands the thorns, their first home loss of the year, actually. So very nice, especially to do so uh, that the rain were the ones that are able to do that, um, to go down there and do that as well as another strong defensive effort. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if the rain have conceded yet in the challenge got knock on wood again. Um, but then I, even if they have, they've been very strong defensively in the challenge cup. Um, 
And still now they further the lead in the Western division of the Challenge Cup now at 10 points. And I believe Portland's only got three. So we look over here to the second match of the week, July 1st versus Racing Louisville FC, a two to two draw. Our player of the match once again is Ford Elise Bennett, an 8.6 match rating, one goal, one assist, one shot and two chances created. We go to our photo of the match here by Liv Lyons. As you can see the emotion, this is after the first goal. You can see Bennett excited. Um, what was it after the first? No. Yes. No, I don't. I want to say it's after the second goal. I might lie. I apologize for lying to you, but Bennett had a great game. Um, she had sent in an excellent ball on the first goal that was scored by Veronica Latsko. An excellent ball. You know, they talk in baseball about a hit that's a frozen rope. That ball was a frozen rope uh, right to Latsko to score that header. Uh, the Rain are able to score these goals within five minutes of each other, both of them being in the final 10 minutes of the match after going down early. Um, it was a physical match. It was a very physical match. Phoebe McLaren recorded a, a yellow card in the third minute. It's her first match of the year, mind you. Uh, Laura Harvey in the postgame presser said, that one loves a tackle, doesn't she? Um, <laughs> not wrong. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was physical. Uh, I believe in the 20, around the 27th minute, I believe uh, just Fishlock would be given a yellow uh, on a handball in the box. And Chuang Wang of uh, Racing Louisville would convert it to put Louisville up going into the half. Coming out of the half, the rain did look like the better club on the attack, at least. Um, and. You know, it looked like things were things were going good. Things, uh, you know, there was progression in the build uh, until a sort of bizarre occurrence took place um, when play was stopped for a, a, a seemingly a foul, no foul, um, <laughs> that was called uh, as the the head official went up with her arm raised and her a whistle in her mouth. Uh, but was was calling a continuation. Uh, but all of the players on the pitch around stopped, uh, and then the goal by Paige Monahan went right through Valentilis Joyce's uh, gloves. So that was frustrating. Um, it was very interesting. It was very very interesting uh, to see that take place. So um, after that, though, the Rain were able to score. Uh, that was in the 67th minute, I believe. The Rain were able to score in the 82nd and 87th minute to tie this game up and give you a draw that really did feel like a win and you know you know like i don't like to necessarily look at draws like that you know like to have seen this a, a win like to add three points like to continue to climb up the nwsl table but given the situation where you're you're dealing with some well not really any injury right now but you just fishlock was off the field for this after it was her first game back from injury for the last few weeks and you're missing the most internationals of any team in the nwsl to see that sort of resiliency and that sort of effort was great and to see some spark from some of the women the the national replace national team replacement players even better so um very happy very happy with that result there so the Rain sit at a seven win, four loss, three draw record. Uh, they sit at third in the league table with 24 points. Sec, uh, first in the Challenge Cup Western Division with 10 points looking ahead. Their next matchup is July 7th at the Orlando Pride with a 4 p.m. Pacific time start time. Uh, that will be, I believe it's on Paramount Plus. I, don't, I, I, I wrote that down. 
<laughs> Paramount Plus, and if you've got Fox 13 Plus, you can watch that as well. Uh, we continue on over here to our Seawolves, who played in the Western Conference Final against the best team in MLR uh, this year, at least, the San Diego Legion. Uh, on July 2nd, a 32-10 to 10 loss in the Western Conference Final. This was a tough one. It ends the Seawolves season after uh, a largely really good season um, that they had. started off really well, started off really hot, lost to San Diego, lost to Utah, then was able to kind of hit a streak again. Um, it was tough. I mean, San Diego's been arguably the best team in the league all year long. Uh, and to run into effectively the buzzsaw that they are, it's, it, is, it is very tough, right? So frustrating, sure, that this took place. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's not like, you know, this was one that was stolen from them or – you know, it was a heartbreaker necessarily. You know, San Diego looked strong throughout the course of the match. And any time that it looked like Seawolves really building any momentum, the Legion were able to come back and answer uh, and ensure that that momentum didn't build and didn't continue. So a tough one throughout for sure. Um, a lot to be proud of with the Seawolves team, you know, with, with a lot of different great efforts across, you know, the younger players and the veteran players, you know, you, your captain was out for a bit and you were able to play without him. Inafuti had two hat tricks this year and showed some great dynamic ability. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, you added a bunch of players this past year uh, due to some things uh, around MLR. Um, so, no, it was, it was very interesting to see that all take place. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the Seawolves team was a lot of fun. Uh, and they looked like a con a serious contender just about all year long. It was always going to be tough to have to face San Diego in this one. Um, but hey, hats off to them. I know this is a rivalry, but they've they've been a damn good team all year long. So a tough way to end the season for sure. But you know, with the way that the Seawolves have been run and they've been able to turn out contenders in just about every year that they've existed in MLR, I don't doubt that they'll be back. So. Tough, tough way to end it for sure as we get to the end of the show now with our star of the week and considering her play over the course of the two matches this past week, um, you know, the three matches over the course of the past eight days or those eight days, pardon me, um, three matches in eight days. I can get it. I can speak English. I promise. Uh, Elise Bennett, Elise Bennett forward, uh, who the team acquired via trade from the Kansas City Current this past offseason. Uh, around the draft, someone's come in, Washington State alum, uh, a great rookie for the current last year, uh, has really brought a nice physical edge for the rain, had that excellent, excellent ball in um, for the first goal against Racing Louisville, and then had a the nice little flick above uh, to get over um, Louisville keeper Katie Lund to score the equalizer in this one. Just showed a bunch of different great uh, attributes in this match to score those two goals um, outside of her physical presence, because, you know, the rain have, uh, have some, some really good forwards on this roster, but they'll bring different things. And I'd say Bennett, you know, is, is, is easily that physical forward that the club has, you know, and for her to get that header to beat Portland in that challenge cup match um, and to do so against Portland, he go, gets her extra points. She's nominated as one of the, uh, uh, is a, potential player of the week in the NWSL, I think it would, you know, I'm biased, of course. Um, but I think it would make a ton of sense if it was her. We're going to check in on that poll right now and see where it's at 
and encourage you to go if you go into the at NWSL on Twitter uh, and you scroll down a bit because they've been tweeting a lot. Oh, goodness. Um, where to go? Yeah. Player. Nope. That's save of the week. Uh, find player of the week. Guys, you know. Ah. So Julie Doyle of Orlando currently leads with 30.4%, but Elise is right behind her with a 29.1%. So go and get your votes. And I did vote on my personal. We'll go and <clears throat> we'll retweet it on the Circling Seattle Sports account as well, just so it's easier to find. Um, if you go to our Twitter, of course, you can then find it, but we'll go down and scroll for you. We'll do the digging here, which is unfortunate that I even have to do um, the digging. Here we go. Tweet that out there. Bada bing, bada boom. Well done. But just her effort and, you know, the she's going to be one of the more valuable players to have for the reign. Uh, everyone is. It's hard to look at just one and say she's the most valuable. But... <clears throat> at least in the attack, it's going to be very important for her in that forward group to be able to score goals for this rain team while they're missing so many valuable players to the, the World Cup. So with that being said, oh, we can show those. We can show those with credit to the NWSL, of course, and Paramount+. Plus. So here is the first goal, and you're going to see the sort of ball that Bennett puts in. Pumped downfield to Bennett. Lining up Malay. Bennett offering, deflected, and headed in! They've pulled one back with a long way to go. The eighth-headed goal by the rain this season. Another headed goal. It's not a coincidence. It's a good ball into the box and a really good finish. From Latsko, really good finish. Comes into the game. With... Barnes offering. Stand the header down. Flip it in! Bennett! From two goals down! All out rain level! can see on the first goal the sort of ball that she had obviously credit to cbs paramount plus and the nwsl uh <clears throat> but the great ball by bennett on the first goal and then the sort of flick that she had to get over katie long uh for the second one so that's our player of the week um until i see you next week on july the 10th if you're choosing to celebrate uh tomorrow be safe be responsible uh you know spend time with those that you love um otherwise uh, enjoy the enjoy the weather be careful of the heat, hydrate yourself, um, take care, and do whatever you can to make today a great day. I'll see you all next week. Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.